Everybody doing good tonight? I'm glad to be here to worship with you and to, to hear the Word of Christ. Uh, thank you, Travis, for bringing the Word, and thank you, Justin, for bringing it. Uh, last night I was able to listen to Justin's message as well, and I'm so thankful for men who preach the Gospel. Uh, I miss being here. I, m- many of you may not know me. I was here about two and a half years ago. As soon as Travis was coming into town, I was headed out of town, and I miss the fellowship with these pastors you, you have faithful pastors who, who long to care for you and long to preach the gospel. And I want to tell you, be thankful for that. That is a gift from God. Be thankful to that, for, for that. Well, let's, let's, let's pray, and then I, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your grace has been which has been expressed in this conference so far, and we pray that you would just, as we hear your word, we pray that you would speak to us, that we would get our eyes off of ourselves, get our eyes off of our accomplishments and what we think we have done, and get them on Christ and the treasure that he is for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's look at our text together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to you who were near. For, those, for through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remembering who we were, remembering who Christ has made us to be, and remembering who He is making us into be causes us to humble ourselves before the Lord and rejoice only in Christ and what He has done for us. If there's one professional athlete that I don't want to dog on because I love him so much, it's Michael Jordan, and yet i got to dog on him a little bit tonight. right? In light of what I'm going to say, know that I still want to be like Mike when it comes to basketball skills. I still want to be a good ball player like him. But when it comes to his theology, I don't want to be anything like him. I read an article uh, recently that talked about how 
it seems he's forgotten where he came from, and some of his accomplishments have gone to his head a little bit. So he says things like, um, when you accomplish all that I have accomplished, you expect to be treated in a certain way. Even to the extent that they have little code names within their organization. And do you know what his code name is? Yahweh. I read that and I was like, ooh, did you really have to go there, Michael? Really? You see, I think once he gets his eyes on his accomplishments, all that he has done in this life, and he has forgotten where he came from and what he once was, he rejoices in himself. He rejoices in what he has done. And you know, for for us Christians, sometimes we can do that. We can... We can look at all that God has done in our lives. We can look at all the ways that He's changed us and be thankful and see all the ways that we are growing and obeying more and more and more. And we look at those accomplishments and we begin to rejoice in ourselves, in what we do, in what we have accomplished. We get our eyes off of Christ and we begin to rejoice in our accomplishments. And you know what's scary is when you begin to pray things like the Pharisees prayed like in the parable of Jesus, that Jesus tells of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Thank you, God, that I am not like those sinners. We can do that, believers. We need to be careful to remember who we were, what we were. Remember where Christ has brought us to and what He has done into us. And remember what He is doing in us and will do for us in the future. And we should remember so that we would not rejoice in ourselves, but so that we should rejoice in Christ Jesus and in everything He has done for us and rejoice in the glorious inheritance that He is providing for us. You see in our text, verse 11, it says, Therefore remember. This is the command that He gives in these verses. Therefore remember. And the therefore looks back to the preceding verses. And I think especially the therefore looks back to chapter 2, verse 7, where he says, So that uh, by grace you've been saved through faith. Jesus has done all of this stuff for you so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ. That we would see what can't even be measured of the riches that we have in Christ and rejoice in who He is for us. Therefore, remember. Remember your wretchedness. Remember where you came from. And some people, some people don't want to do that. Can't we just forget about the past? It's in the past. Let's just leave it there. There's no, there's no use in rehashing all that has gone on before. My, ug- the ugliness of my former life. My sinfulness. My disobedience. And Paul says, remember. Remember who you once were. So let's... Take a walk down memory lane and remember a little bit of who we were. We were separated from Christ. We were separated from Christ. And this is perhaps one of the greatest comforts for the Christian, right? Romans, the end of Romans 8, nothing, absolutely nothing, life nor death, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We cannot be separated from Him and His love. And yet this this is what we were. We were separated 
from Christ. Christ, the greatest treasure in all of the universe, we were separated from the goodness which is in Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were estranged from the commonwealth of Israel. Paul's language here reminds us of the people of God in the Old Testament, the commonwealth of Israel. They were were citizens of the kingdom of God. They were chosen by God, not because of anything in them, not because of their goodness, not because of their size. Actually, they were smallest among the nations, weakest among the nations, and God chose them to be His people. The Gentiles were not a part of that people. They lacked the covenant sign of circumcision, as he says in in verse 11. They were alienated, estranged from the people of God. They were excluded from the people of God. There was a dividing wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, and all the ceremonial laws throughout the Old Testament clearly showed who was in and who was out. You and I were out. The Ephesians, out alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were citizens of the kingdom of darkness and not citizens of the kingdom of light. We were not a part of the people of God. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. He's just piling up thing after thing after thing of what it was like to be apart from Christ. Strangers of the covenants of promise. Here, we must think back to the covenant that He made with Abraham all the way back in Genesis. Through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And on this one great covenant, all the other covenants hang. All these other restatements of this great covenant to Abraham. A a unilateral covenant of grace, a divine grant to Abraham, not because of you, not because of anything you've done, but because of me, because of my purposes in this world, I am going to bless you, and through your offspring, the world will be blessed. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. We, again, were excluded from this, separated as though we were starving, looking on the inside of all God's lavish blessing and feast. We were without hope and with God in the world. We had no hope apart from Christ, apart from God. We were hopeless, like like a ship out at sea who's lost its compass, whose rudder has been broken off in the midst of a huge storm and far, far away from the shore. Pitch black, nowhere to turn, nowhere to go to. We were hopeless. And if you want to get a glimpse of what hopelessness is, it it is one of the most saddening things to see someone without hope. Isn't it? If you want to get a glimpse of what hopelessness looks like, look, stare into the eyes of a starving orphan in a third world country. If you want to see a, a glimpse of hopelessness, of someone without hope, you see it in the eyes of someone addicted to drugs and they've lost their, their family, they've lost their homes, they don't know what to do and they're, they're without hope. If you want to look and get a glimpse of hopelessness, look at 
the one who is separated from Christ. You and I were separated from Christ without hope and without God in the world. Now the word here, without God, is where we get our word atheist. Without God. And I know and you know that there are no true atheists in the world, right? We learn that from Romans chapter 1. We all have a knowledge of God that we have been created by Him. We know certain things about God because of His creation, and yet we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. There are no atheists, and yet in another sense, we were all atheists without God. We were rebels against our Creator. We hated Him and, and ran as far away from Him as possible. Now sometimes you can see this in you can see this clearly in testimonies of people who have, it's been radical, their conversion to Christ. They lived a life of pure rebellion against God, and maybe they even were atheists. They said there is no God, and then Christ changes them, and they are brought near to Christ. And yet, even the one who, who grows up in church, maybe even looks righteous outwardly and and goes to church every Sunday and gives money to the church and, and sings songs of praise to Jesus, and yet they have never entrusted their hearts to Christ. They've never trusted in Him. They are without God. Remembering who we are, our wretchedness, where we were without Christ in rebellion, hopelessness, this brings about a great humility. And it's painful to look back. Think about your own life. Think about your own life before Christ. Maybe more for some of you than others, it's painful sometimes to look back at how you spit in the face of God with your selfishness and your sin and your rebellion. It's painful. And it will give us a great humility towards others. It will, it will cause us to get rid of a, a vocabulary that says things like, I can't see how anybody would stoop that low to do something that sinful. They are so far from God. And then we realize we were far, far from God. It's painful to look back, but we must look back. Paul tells us to look back. Remember. Remember not just so that you will wallow in your shame and feel sorry for yourself and shame before God, but so that you would rejoice in the next words that come in our passage. Verse 13, But now. He does, Paul does it again back in verse 4. I'm sure Merle will point that out. But God. We see all of our sinfulness and our shame and our wretchedness. And then Paul says, but now in Christ. He's showing a contrast. He wants the, Ephesians, the, the, the Ephesian Christians to rejoice in the Lord. And the best way he knows how to do that is to show the stark contrast between what they were and now what God has done for them. Have any of you had one of those candies, a warhead? It's called a warhead candy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's, if you've never had one, it is jolt, a jolting experience. Okay? It's, you, you pop it in your mouth, 
I think the picture on the, the wrapping is of a guy's head exploding or something like that. You pop it in your mouth and it is this, this sourest, most bitter taste you could ever imagine. Like, why would you put that in your mouth? It's so sour. But then when the bitterness, just as the bitterness goes away, there's such a sweetness. Such a sweetness. And it's like that when we look back on all the ugliness of our past lives, it's just a bitter, bitter taste in our mouths. It's almost, we don't even want to do it. We don't even want to look back and remember. But when we taste the sweetness, it is all the more sweet because we tasted the bitterness before. When we see what God has done for us in light, in contrast with who we were, the riches of Christ, the sweetness of Christ is all the more sweet to us. Is the sweetness of Christ sweet to you? Oh, He's so good. But now, in Christ Jesus, this is, this is the condition. All those who are in Christ Jesus. This is for a particular people. It's a particular people that are identified especially in verses 1-10. through 10. Those who have come to trust in Christ, those who have received His grace, by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. For all those who believe. A particular people who have received the grace of God through faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who are in Christ, who have union with Christ, who are connected to Christ. God has done something to change them. In union with Christ, we have all the blessings of sonship which belong to Christ and are ours by virtue of faith in Him. Since all of the blessings of sonship belong to Christ, all those who are connected to Christ receive those blessings through Him. Once we were separated from Christ, now we are in Christ, connected to Him. The Scripture says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now notice that this is a passive verb. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's not, but now in Christ Jesus you have, you have come to the Father. You have accomplished what needed to be accomplished in order to come near to God. No, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not our striving, not our effort, not multiplying brick upon brick upon brick to work ourselves to God, we have been brought near to God through Christ. We once were far off, but we have been brought near. The image, an image that comes to my mind is a, a great gulf. And we're in the bottom of the gulf, separated from God far, far, far from God. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there were sacrifices made to God over and over, day after day, animal sacrifices, the necks of goats and bulls slit, and the blood would pour out. You could imagine gallons and gallons 
and gallons of blood being spilled out in order that we might be brought near to God. And then think about other ways we try to get near to God by our own efforts, by our own righteousness, by our own striving. And yet in the midst of this huge gulf, all the gallons and gallons and gallons of blood sacrifice, all our bricks of our own righteousness and self-accomplishments amount to nothing. A drop in the bucket. Nothing. And yet a drop of the blood of Christ into that great gulf, that great chasm which is, makes us so far from Christ. A drop of the blood of Christ fills it like the oceans and ushers us up into the very presence of Almighty God. We who were far from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ speaks of His atoning death, His sacrificial death. Propitiation. That means the turning away, the wrath of God. Jesus dying on the cross for sinners, absorbing the wrath of God that was due to you and to me. Brought near by the blood of Christ. And Paul begins to speak about Christ, about who He is for us who were far away. Jesus Christ is our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. The biggest need, your biggest need when you were far from God, the biggest need of your family members who are not in Christ, the biggest need for your co-workers, for your friends, for people that you know who are far away from God, is peace with God through the blood of Christ. It's not just that you would counsel them into having a better marriage. It's not just that you would help them to be a better worker at their job. It's not, it's not even just so that, that you might become friends with them or so that they might come to church and, and have some reformations in the, their moral lives. The biggest need of those who are far away from God is peace with God. They, they are at enmity with God. He is angry with them because of their sin. And this is what Christ has done for us. He has given us peace with God. Peace where there once was anger and enmity. The wrath of God hanging over our heads. And He has given us not only an objective peace, but what is grounded in this objective peace is a subjective peace, an inner peace. That now we are right with God. Are you a believer in Jesus? Do you trust in Him? Do you have peace? Inner peace. That God is pleased with you. See, for the Christian, for one who is in Christ... There is no reason why you shouldn't know that you are at peace with God. Right? God is pleased with you not because of what you do or don't do. God is pleased with you not because you read your Bible this morning for an extra 30 minutes or because you, you prayed for an extra 10 minutes. God is pleased with you because Jesus' perfect life, His perfect death in your place, and His perfect resurrection in power. 
God is pleased with the believer because of all the merit of Jesus Christ, because of all that He has done for us, we are at peace with God. Jesus is our peace. And He gives us peace with one another. He made Jew and Gentile who formerly had this wall of separation between one another. He he broke the wall down. He brought Jew and Gentile together. Broke down the wall of hostility between brothers and sisters and broke down the wall of hostility between us and God. Jesus is our peace and He is our access to the Father. He is our access to the Father. Verse 18, For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Me. We we once were excluded from the people of God, from the love of God, from the family of God, and now we have access to the Father. We are no longer on the outside looking in, but we have access to the Father by the Spirit through the Son. We rejoice in our reconciliation with God. We were far away, but He has brought us near. Paul goes on talking about these glorious truths of what is now ours in Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom. Instead of kingdoms, instead of citizens of the kingdom of darkness, we are citizens of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. We were without hope, without God in the world, but now we have received a relationship with Him. As I heard Justin and Travis put it so well, adoption as sons and daughters. We are members of the household of God. We have been brought into the family of God. You see, we have access to the King of the Kingdom. We have access to the Father. But now, Paul says, you have access to your Father. You have access to your Father. And we have a problem There's a crisis, I think, in America with fathers. Fathers in the home who are maybe not in the home. They're absent dads or they're overly bearing, overly stern dads. Dads who don't have relationships with their children. And you know, even within my household, there's a dad problem. I don't mean my dad either. I mean me. Do you recognize this, dads? That in your home there's a dad problem? There was even, even today, uh, there was a situation where I had to discipline my son. And, and me, I'm, so, I'm prone to anger sometimes. I'm prone to being overly stern or I'm just grouchy or I, I get angry easily. And my son came in. He knew he was in trouble. And there was just this expression of shame on his face. And I know part of that is because he is guilty. He did it. He did the crime. But maybe part of that's also because I, as a sinner, 
do not have the right mixture of love and discipline so that he can approach me in confidence knowing that I'm going to receive him. That I'm going to show him love and grace. And sometimes we go to God like that. We know our past life. We know our sin today and all of its bitterness and ugliness. And we come to God in shame because we're fearful of Him. We're fearful He's not pleased with us, that He's angry with us, that He's going to break our legs or make us sick or do something bad to us. And the Scripture says, since we have such a high priest who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence knowing we will receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. The almighty creator of the world who sits on the throne. But it's a throne of grace. It's a throne of mercy, and he gives willingly and generously to all who come to him. We can come to him in confidence, again, not because of what we are or what we have done, but because of what Jesus, our mediator, our high priest who has offered the once and for all sacrifice for sin has done for us. We approach the throne of grace in confidence. We are citizens of the kingdom, members of His very household, and we are becoming a dwelling place for God. That is so amazing. I wish I had more time to unpack it, preach one sermon on the fact that we are becoming a dwelling place for God. It speaks of His presence and of the joy that He gives as He dwells within His people. Psalm 16, 11, You make known to me the paths of life. In Your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what it means to be in the presence of God. That's what it means for God to make His dwelling place with us. We are being built into this temple, the foundation of the apostles and prophets as they preached, as they proclaimed Jesus Christ. Christ Himself is the cornerstone. He is the central support. If you take that away, everything else collapses. It is by and for and through Jesus. In Him the whole structure grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In Christ Jesus you are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It indicates, it indicates home a permanence of home, of lasting joy, of beauty, of close fellowship with God Himself, protection and love. But remember, this is what we are becoming. This is who He is making us to be. It's the already and not yet. Have you heard that before? The all, we are already saved and we are being saved. It's not fully accomplished yet. It's not fully consummated yet. We are being made into a dwelling place for God. We're not there yet. 
If you've been through trials or troubles lately, you know that. You know that everything is not right with the world. Right? This life is filled with troubles. This life, maybe your life is filled with tears. There's a a couple in our church who, I think a a year and a half ago, their their 11-year-old son died from cancer. They watched him wither away. And this family loves the gospel. They love Jesus with all their hearts. They know the scriptures. And yet I'm pretty sure their bed is flooded with tears on a regular basis. His birthday's coming up March 10th. I could see him this uh, yesterday morning. I was, I was preaching. We're preaching through James, so I was preaching on trials, and I know that's it's so difficult for me to preach on trials when I know that what they have been through. And I saw their eyes welling up with tears. This life is filled with tears, and we are not there yet. Broken lives, pain, death, broken relationships, weak faith, weak repentance. When will I be free from this body of death? When when will will I be a, a place, when will we be a place where God can fully and perfectly dwell? How can we go on in this life of trials and struggle? How can we persevere? How can we rejoice? in the midst of all this pain. It's remembering who we were, who God has made us to be, and who He is making us to be. See, we need need to not only look back at the past, who we were, and not only look at the present, who God has made us to be, but look at the future. And thankfully, God has provided a picture of the future in the Scriptures that our eyes might be taken off of the problems and the struggles of this life and bring us to faith in Jesus by showing us what He is doing in us. So turn quickly in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. We see a vision. We see the vision that John has. Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And He said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. Christian, you've been brought near to God. He calls you his citizen. He calls you his friend. But remember, He calls you His child. Let's rejoice in this glorious heritage, this glorious inheritance that He has given us, that we would be called the sons and daughters of God. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are weak. But you are strong. We recognize, Lord, that there are even vestiges of our old life. There is indwelling sin within our hearts. Areas where we still try to rule over our own lives. We pray, Lord, that you would change us again. That you would change us by your gospel. That you would change us by reminding us of who we were and who Christ has made us to be by his life, death, and resurrection, and by remembering who you are making us to be a dwelling place for your very presence. Help us to rejoice in this great inheritance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.